Hi, welcome to episode three of the Serious Squash podcast. And today I had a good friend on. Uh, we've known each other since we were, you know, eight, nine years old, both members at Pine Valley. Uh, we've played together against each other so many times. I'm not sure who has a winning record. Uh, went to Western together. Uh, right now he has, you know, one of the biggest, best junior programs in the country at Mayfair Lakeshore in Toronto. And uh, it's Greg Hutner. He won three Canadian Junior Nationals. Um, a guy who's, you know, a really straight shooter and I really respect as a coach. Uh, we talked a lot today about junior squash, college squash, uh, some of the top juniors that have come out of uh, Camden recently, and, and maybe what's missing about uh, getting some of our juniors to the international level, the PSA standard, um, you know, that John Jonathan Power, uh, Graham Riding, Gary Waite, uh, Shahir, uh, Sean Delierre, some of those guys that they achieved. Um, you know, it was a pretty long chat. Uh, obviously, we haven't talked in a while. Uh, we're good college buddies, uh, so it's, it's uh, hopefully interesting for you. It was, it was a fun chat for me, and uh, I'm sure you're going to enjoy it as well. So here's episode three. Uh, enjoy. All right, here is episode three of the Serious Squash podcast, and I have a uh, former junior national Canadian champ, uh, three-time champ, uh, also worked um, with Rob Brooks, uh, the club I worked at, so his name is also on the door at Executive Fitness, if you've been there. <laughs> That's a, a claim to fame, except our names went up on that door after we were done coaching coaching there. Uh, but Never got to enjoy it while we were there. <laughs> no, no, but we, we both obviously have a lot of respect for Rob. Uh, we both played at Pine Valley when we were kids. Uh, we both actually were in Victoria. Like I was there a little bit longer, but he was in Victoria, so we know Stuart Dixon as well. Um, both went to Western. We were there at the same time for a while. And, uh, you know, I think we were both kind of self-running the team at that time. So it was pretty clear we were both going to become, you know, back into squash and, and becoming coaches and uh, worked at the NSA for a long time. And uh, now uh, Greg's at uh, the Mayfair Lakeshore in Toronto and has, you know, probably one of the biggest, most successful junior programs in uh, Canada. So I thought the perfect kind of guy to get on to talk about junior squash college squash uh you know a little bit of western and a little bit of rob brooks Stuart dixon and uh just squash in general so yeah happy to have you on huts oh loving it man this is a great idea can't wait can't wait to get down to business here <laughs> yeah i'm sure that you all your kids back uh back in mayfair and, and some of the ones that are probably now western are are uh you know gonna be interested to hear what we have to say and you know, they're kind of if like, they can't if they can't see me in person, they may as well hear my voice a little bit. That yeah. that'll that'll send the chills down their spine. <laughs> well, I think there'll be a lot of a lot of similarities for like stuff that maybe they're going through now that we went through back. Uh, you know, just before we were deciding, you know, where to go to school and then ending up at Western. Uh, but so first thing I, I just want to get in with you is uh, ask you how you got into coaching. Like I know at Western you were actually studying, I think film studies <laughs> that I remember. So. Film and, uh, film and writing, not, not, not really applicable to the squash business. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, obviously, you know, being a good writer can be helpful. But so how did you get into coaching when you were done, uh, done at Western? Well, quite honestly, I was coaching uh, when I was playing juniors. Um, I was coaching almost the whole way through. Probably got my first job when I was like 14 with Eric Baldwin, the legend at, uh, at the Badminton Racket Club. And uh, yeah, I worked for I worked for Jim Patton for at the Granite Club for a number of years. He was a wicked boss. Um, had a lot of fun there. Crazy times at the camps and stuff. Um, we you know worked alongside Jamie Nichols, Jess Demoro, Adriana Demoro, Rob Negro. Uh, we had a really legendary crew. 
uh, at the Granite Club at the time. Um, I mean, they still have a pretty legendary crew there. And then, um, yeah, when I was done, when I was done at Western, uh, I was, I was going into squash. Like it, it was just happening. I mean, I wasn't, I wasn't finished. I wasn't satisfied. Um, you know, I think the original plan was probably, um, the original plan was probably to play a, a lot more tournaments, um, probably play some professional, uh, while I coached on the side and, um, you know what, I got a job at, at Good Life Northridge right out of the, right out of the gate. Um, as soon as I graduated and, uh, yeah, it was a pretty good fit. I got into it and you know what? I didn't do much junior, junior coaching there, to be honest. Um, it was mainly adults, house league, kind of all the stuff that I'm known to sort of go against now. Um, I, I found my niche kind of sort of later on, but yeah, it was, it was a cool start and, uh, that, that got the ball rolling for me. And, um, you know, I, I, I've tried to get out of coaching a couple times to be honest since, and, you know, I've talked to Dave Morish about this many times because he's sort of had the same experiences. There's something about squash that always pulls you back in. I mean, if, if you're a lifer, you're a lifer. And just, I think I've come to accept that I love the sport and the community and that I just like, it's where I want to be. It's, it's, it's where my people are. So that's, that's kind of how I found my way back. So how did you end up like down the uh, junior pathway? Like that's, I mean, you work almost like exclusively with kids now, right? So there's, so there's such a clear, a clear, moment in my mind when it happened um so i i was kind of up and down you know i had the northridge gig i did a couple of things i worked at the cricket a little bit um worked at lakeshore very briefly uh my first stint there didn't go so well uh i was a little kind of out of the sport i was going to go to i was at sports journalism school i just got into a program at centennial college and i thought that was kind of the direction i was going to go um, you know, we're talking about my film and writing degree. I was actually going to put it to use and uh, go to sports journalism school. But the NSA was just opening at the same time. And Nichols, Nichols kind of got me on board and, uh, you know, wanted me in there from the ground up. And, you know, I wasn't, I wasn't like super into squash at the time. I was sort of like, you know, I was helping him kind of like almost like an odd job runner. Like I'd go into the crazy stuff I was doing, like, shock vacuuming the cement floors and like you know picking up ridiculous things that you know like an hour away like it just uh, doing all sorts of nonsense and um i remember i helped out at a gold tournament i think they were hosting a gold tournament a gold junior tournament and you know i saw it was the first time in a long time almost a decade that i saw a bunch of junior squash like at a high level I think it was a selection event for the national team and just seeing the way the kids compete and, you know, work their tails off and like all those feelings came back to me. Those are such pure, passionate feelings. And I knew sort of right then that I wanted to get involved again. And uh, I really, uh, you know, from that moment forwards, Jamie kind of gave me the beginner program at the NSA. Um, you know, I started working my way up a little bit, started just kind of taking everything I could get there. And, uh, yeah, that's, that's how I got my, my, my feet back in the, the junior waters. And uh, yeah, it's, it's, been, it's been a wicked ride since, to say the least. So what do you enjoy most about the kids? Just like their passion and like how, how much they love the game? Is that the main thing? There's a bunch of things. Like I, I, find, I find I connect really well with kids in general. I mean, I, you, you'd be the first to, to say I'm kind of a big kid. 
uh, even at age 37 as a dad, it's, it's, I still, I still am a big kid. I just, I find them really easy to connect with. And I don't think there's many, you know, there's not many areas in life where you can actually have such a positive effect on, on kids. Like they, I mean, you know, they, they, they come to really look up to you and have a great time with you. And like, you're able to sort of shape the way they think and the way they act in a positive way. And, and you know, to work with them and see them grow and, you know, instill passion and, and, you know, fuel their dreams. And, you know, you see these kids, like, you know, you start working with them at age nine and 10, they're like, you know, little chubby, goofy, uh, have no idea what's what. You work with them for a bunch of years, they're, you know, they're playing on a national team, they're going to Yale, like, it's like, you, you can't even believe, you know, what's happened. And, you know, it's not to say that, that you know, you're the reason this stuff happens, but, you, you know, you have to believe that you have some sort of positive influence on them. And I just don't think there's many areas uh, where you can have that kind of effect on, on, on a young person. Yeah, I, I definitely would have to agree. I think that's why most of us coach squash. Like, we're not in it, you know, like tennis coaches getting paid, like, you know, $100, $200 an hour to be a coach. Like, we're doing Absolutely. It, we're doing it because we love it, right? And we, we you know, obviously we feel we get a lot out of it as well. Like, selfishly, we enjoy, like, helping people. So. Yeah, yeah and, you know, if, if, if I could say one other thing, like, you know, you, kids are like, you know, you know, the parents are like, oh, you know, you, you know th thanks for helping my kid. You're doing this for my kid and that. And I like quite honestly, like it's it's, and I'm sure you'll agree. You talk to all the great, like you know, a lot of the great coaches, like a Brooks, a Graham Williams, a Jamie, Jessica, like all these kids. It's, it's therapy for us as well, right? Like, like you know, it's it's a way for us to feel like ourselves and feel comfortable and enjoy ourselves. Like, you know, these 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 become you know, like it's like your crew. It's like your your posse, kind of right. These kids that you spend all this time with, all this positive time with. Like these become the people I'm almost more comfortable around them than I am around like a group of adults. Right. It's like, yeah. you know, you spend so much time with these guys, like seeing them in girls, seeing them learn, like learn and grow. It's just like, that's, it's, it's, it's therapy for us as well. So how do you balance when you're coaching, like, especially the high performance kids, like you obviously have to push them and sometimes, you know, they're going to go through stretches where it's not enjoyable, but like, you're obviously, you want it to be fun, relaxed. Like you have, you want to have that balance, right? So how do you, how do you balance that? Look, like when you, when you set, when you set a tone, I think when you're, when you're fair above everything else, um, I think people know that when you're getting on their case, it's for a good reason, right? Like when you're generally a fun coach and you like to laugh and you like to have fun, um, you know, but you're trying to run, you're trying to run serious sessions. You're trying to get them to work hard. If you're pulling kids aside and you're, you know, you're telling them what's what and telling them, you know, you know, they're hauling a little bit or they're, they're, they're fading, they're not, you know, not, not doing what's expected of them. They're wasting other people's time. I think, you know, if they trust you and you trust them and there's a mutual respect, I think you're able to do that, right? Like if you're, if you're, if you're setting the tone, um, especially, you know, early in a season or even early in their career, it, you know, they know you're not just snapping at them for any reason, right? Like you, you, you sort of build that trust and I think they appreciate it, right? They appreciate that you care and they see that, right? Like if you're letting them get away with everything, you know what I mean? And then you snap at them once in a while, they, I mean, they're, they're probably expected just a bad mood. Um, you know, it's a one-off, but like, you know, you, you, you got to get on top of them and like, it's more than anything, I want them to have fun and they, I want them to enjoy it. I want them to get fit. Um, all that good stuff. But at the end of the day, you know, there's, there, there is money and time being spent and there's expectations here. So like, you know what, if you need, if you need to bring them into your office, 
Uh, if you need them to pull them aside, then you got to do it. And I think they respect that and they get it, right? And I think if you're, you're having to do that more and more, you feel them pulling away. It's when you're talking to them and, you know, you know the look. They're looking off in the distance and you're hearing, yeah, okay, yeah, yeah, I get, okay. That, that's when you have, that's when there's problems, right? That's, that's when it's tough to reel them back in. But you don't know, I mean, you don't know where their head's at unless you're coming at them and you're, you're getting on their face a little bit, I would say. Well, I definitely know you're a straight shooter. I think that's one of the things I appreciate, like when we were teammates, and I think it's a good quality. A lot of coaches maybe are going to sugarcoat things and just make it sound like, oh, you know, whatever, this, you know, child's doing amazing and tell the parents what they want to hear. But like, I think, you know, you're, you're not going to hold back if you think that, you know, somebody could be giving more or could be achieving something greater. And I think that's sometimes what you have to do as a coach, because you know, sometimes they don't believe what they can achieve, but, you know, we can actually see a lot more potential than maybe they can or their parents can. So. 100%. And you're, you're probably the same as me. Like, words, words are easy, right? Like, words are the easiest thing in the world. I want to win nationals. I want to I wanna make the world junior team. I just said it. How, how easy is that, right? It's so easy to roll off those words. Don't tell me that if you're not going to put in the work, if you don't realize what it takes. You know what? You want, you want to play house league once a week. Uh, you want to go play with your buddies. You want to play squash twice a week and play silver tournaments. I will support you more than anyone. I'm good with that. Great. You're playing squash. You're having fun. That's amazing. I have as much time for you as anyone else. But if you're telling me you want to win nationals and you're showing up once or twice a week, you're half-assing it, you're not putting in the work, you're not doing anything off court, then we're going to have problems. I'm sorry because you're not being realistic with yourself. And that's, that's when you get into some of these confrontations with parents. Um, the kid gets upset because the expectations are all over the map and they're not matching up with what you're saying. Yeah, no, I, I think that that's definitely true. Like, you know, I actually talked to Rob about this a little bit because he's dealt with so many kids, so many parents. Like what happens when it's like you feel there's pressure from the parent uh, on the kid to perform or to be a certain level and then you know, maybe that's taking away their enjoyment and love of the game. Like, what do you, what do you, do you have to like chat with the parents about that or the kid or both or? Yeah. You know what? I've had, I've had a lot of those. I think, I think you always want in an ideal world. It, I mean, the way, the way the community is these days, it doesn't necessarily match up like, like this. You want to talk to the kid first. So they're not blindsided, right? You never want all of a sudden, you know, it feels like an intervention where like the kid's parents are there and you're there and they're all sort of coming, you're all coming at the kid. Like, oh, you said you want to do this. And you're not, you know, then the kid might just say, you know, screw this, I'm out. Like you guys are all ganging up on me. You want to have a talk with the kid and see where their head's at, right? And then I think, you know, you know you're getting emails from parents. You know they want to talk to you. Ideally, you can talk to the parents separately before you bring them together, right? Like, it's, it's nice to try to get everyone on the same page before you bring everyone together. Did the parent and kid talk together with the coach? Never feels great, right? Because I think the kid always thinks they're supposed to say certain things, right? There's that kind of pressure. Um, I, I try to avoid that one. The parents seem to love it these days, right? The big meeting. Um, it's, it's, it's definitely not my favorite. I would like to talk to both separately before bringing them together, right? And I mean, 
what you want from the kid is honesty. And I just, I just don't know if that, if that type of situation, the big meeting is where you're going to get them to be the most honest. So I want, I want to go back to, I know you've already mentioned some of the coaches that like, you know, were good in, uh, role models for you when you were getting into coaching as a junior, but obviously when you were being coached by Rob a bit, when you were playing in Pine Valley, like, um, you know, just, you worked with him a bit, like such a guy that we, I think we both respect so much. Uh, he's done so much for squash in Ontario and Canada. Like what's something that you take away from Rob that's made you a better person or a better coach? The thing I would take about away from Rob more than anything is more, more important than the technical, the tactical, all that stuff is if you instill passion in your player, you're going to get results because that's going to be the kid that's going to, going to solo that extra one or two times a week. That's the kid that's going to be watching, you know, PSA squash at home. That's the kid that's going to be, you know, designing their own program, working on their own. You know what? Like, I, I could teach any kid to hit a forehand, like, like no problem. Do you know what I mean? Like if you're, if you're going to put time and money into it, I'm going to teach you how to hit a forehand at the end of the day, the kid that loves the sport and wants it more, you know, maybe not tomorrow, maybe not next week, maybe not next year. At some point they're going to chase you down. Do you know what I mean? Like at some point, the kid that loves the sport and has learned, has learned that the love of the sport is more important than anything is going to chase you down because they're the ones that are, they're going to put the most time and energy into it. And Rob taught me that more than anything. And trust me, I spent hundreds of technical hours on the court with Rob doing his solo routines, hitting targets, yeah. working on my technique, um, working on my patterns, all that stuff with Rob, like, like the improvements were huge, but more than anything, uh, I just learned how to fight my tail off, you know, and you're, you're almost playing for, you're playing for a legend, right? Like you're playing for, for a guy you love and admire, like, and a guy who's taught you what, like the, 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 the you know, things can, it, it's more, it's, it's more than just about the sport. It's about, you know, heart and desire and passion. And I mean, the kids, the kids that learn that at an early age, ooh, they're, they're going to be the ones to watch for. So it, it sounds like you, you wanted to make Rob proud when you were playing, right? And that's kind of, you know, what oh, a lot of the kids you coach right now, like they want to make you proud when they go out and play. So because, bad. There's, yeah. There was nothing, I'm sure you remember this too, there's nothing more rewarding in my junior squash career than a Rob Brooks handshake <laughs> after, after a hard-fought battle. To, and he, you know, he gives you the little nod, the little <laughs> nod and the half smile and just, well, well done, Greg. Just, just something, just like something simple meant more than, you know, and anything else. And I think, you know, I hope, I hope the kids, you know, get half of that from me. I wish, I wish I had that. I never feel like I quite show them enough, like how much I appreciate the effort, but oh, Rob, Rob made you feel pretty good when you got the job done. Yeah, I mean, but you, I mean, remember Montreal. So Rob can also be a straight shooter. Like if you're, <laughs> you want to go, you want to go down this. <laughs> no, road. we don't have to go into details. I'm just saying, you know, if it's if you're not putting in the the effort, can, that, uh, can I swear? Can I swear on this podcast? <laughs> uh, I mean, I don't know. I feel like it's junior focus, so maybe, <laughs> maybe you can maybe I can bleep it out somehow. I'm not. So so, ladies and gentlemen, you may have never heard Rob swear in your life, but. <laughs> There was a match when I was 11 years old in Montreal against Chris's brother, Brad. It was a 3-4 playoff. 
uh, at nationals, I had lost a heartbreaker in five the day before. I think the match was at 8 a.m., <laughs> 8 a.m. or 8.40 a.m. I put in a complete tank fest. Brad, probably the last win Brad ever had over me. Um, he likes to bring it up now and again. And Rob just fed it to me in between games. I'd never heard him talk like that. There were many expletives, like swearing aplenty. Um, I, I, I was stunned. I, I didn't know what to say. So you know what? Rob's not always going to shake your hand and tell you you did, you did a great job. He's going to feed it to you when, you, when, you're, when you're not doing your best, when you're not playing well. And I, I was on the, the losing end that day. I mean, but clearly since then you went on to win three junior nationals. I mean, you know, maybe that, maybe was, that was the turning point. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, I'm sure it, it was better than if he just said, oh, it's okay, whatever. Like, you know, I think you can't let somebody off the hook if you know, like, that wasn't their best effort and, and you, you have high expectations for them. And, and you know what? I think through most of my junior career, if you ask most people, I was known as, as a guy with a lot of heart, a grinder, um, someone who always busted their tail, probably someone who had a lot of wins over guys more talented faster, stronger, um, you know, who hit the ball better. And yeah, I, I think those are the moments where you're probably like, you know what? He's right. That wasn't a good enough effort. Like yeah. I need to get more balls back in play. I need to run harder. Um, I need to fight harder. And it's just amazing to, you know, those moments stand out so clearly in your mind. And, you know, as a coach, you can only hope that when you come down on your kids, uh, for poor efforts, that that's the way they take it rather than saying, oh, like, you know, Chris was mean to me. Greg was mean to me. Like, cause you know what, if that's the way you're taking it, then maybe the sport's not for you. Yeah, it's a tough sport. It's a tough sport. It's not, you know what, it's not for babies. It's not for wimps. And like, if you're not going to be able to take a little criticism here and there, when you're not completely busting your tail, then you know what, maybe you try ball and jacks. I don't know. Well, I, don't, I don't think anybody went five more than you did when you were at Western. Like, it didn't matter who you were playing. It was only going five. Like, every match, we're like, oh, I got to wait for Greg again. He's going five. For, for better or worse. I don't, for better or worse, yeah. yeah. I, think, I think in my junior days, I was always going five because I was probably getting in there with guys I didn't belong with. I think, you know, in some situations, uh, in some situations at Western, unfortunately, it was probably the reverse, <laughs> where maybe I wasn't busting my tail as hard as I should have, and I was letting some guys get their foot in the door. Uh, but you know what? I think I think my record, my five game record, was pre still pretty solid. Oh at yeah, Western, hundred percent. Yeah. Um, so I want to talk about uh, Stuart Dixon because I know you 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 he got you back into squash, I believe. When Legend. You were in yeah. And, uh, you know, I definitely, you know, obviously wish I could have inter interviewed him. Um, but uh, he was, you know, for me, like a great mentor. So I thought it'd be good just, you know, if there's something you took away from uh, meeting Stuart that, you know, you'd like to share. Yeah, like, you know what? I mean, I think we were talking about this a little bit earlier. There's, you know, guys like there's a lot of similarities to a guy like Stuart to a guy like Rob. Um, just in the sense that those guys are building, like they built communities. Right, and they built like a very, very safe, comfortable atmosphere for you to go and enjoy the game. And I was out on squash. I was out on squash um, after juniors. I was burnt out. You know, my, my goal was to play pro. Um, I had a rough. I had a rough injury down the home stretch when I was 18, and I was done. I was cooked. I wanted to go to school. I wanted to do different things. And you know, I was in Victoria studying and. Um, Stuart just kind of like, you know, come on down, 
come down on us so similar to Rob on a Saturday, you know, where every like, you know, all shapes and sizes uh, <laughs> were down at the squash courts, you know, come down. We'll have a couple pitchers of beer ready when you're done. Um, hit some squash balls. Like let's, let's just sweat a little bit. And you know what? I did that like three or four times and I was, I was hooked again. You know what? He didn't make me pay a, a cent yeah. for coming in. Not one cent. Yeah. You know what I mean? He said, you know, he made fun of me my first few times coming out, you know, in the most playful, loving way, yeah. um, you know, introduced me to everybody uh, and just like, just got me back involved. And I forgot, I had forgotten, uh, you know, I had so many, you know, rough losses down the home stretch and so many tough experiences that I forgot. Like, it's not, you know, necessarily about winning and losing, you know, and, you know, some of that's cliche. But, like, just to be part of a community and loving the sport again and just, like, oh, my God, like, this is, you know, this is where I belong. These are my people. Like, we're talking squash. We're, we're running around. We're, you know, we're, we're having a couple beers afterwards. It was beautiful, right? And it was, it was completely detached from my University of Victoria experience. One had nothing to do with the other, which made it even more amazing. It was, it was just an incredible escape that no one else on campus, I felt like, was doing. Right. So it's just this beautiful thing. And Stuart, I mean, talk about like welcome you, welcoming you back with open arms. Yeah. Right. Like that's if, if I remember one thing about Stuart, I mean, I'll never forget that. Who knows what I, where I'd be right. Like in squash if it wasn't for him. So, you know, I mean, miss the guy. Thank you, Stuart. Yeah. Well, I definitely feel like we have that in common. Thankfully, like we all had the luxury of knowing Rob well, we got to know Stuart and then obviously we got to know Jack Bears. Like, you know, I mean, he was still, you know, even though like, you know, he wasn't able to get on court, like just, you know, the charisma, like his, his enthusiasm. A lot of charisma. Stories. A lot of charisma. Yeah. Like, you, you know, it's just like people that are just, they love squash so much and like they just, you know, right away, you just feel like so welcomed and you feel like part of their family. And, and uh, it's just, you know, yeah, I haven't, found something like that outside of squash so I think those three people like you know for me are like huge mentors and have had a big impact in my life and I'm sure the obviously 100 percent and that's to me to me if I can go you know slightly off topic but you know you kind of kind of um you know talking about the same thing I think that was the beautiful thing about the NSA when you know in, in a brief stint is like you know weirdos from all over the world who just love squash would walk through those doors and it didn't matter what level you were, there was someone who was going to kick your ass, right? Like there was someone, someone was going to beat you down. Um, and you were, th that, that was the one certainty. The other certainty is you were going to be welcomed with open arms, um, despite, you know, whatever your fi financial situation was, you're going to be welcomed with other, with open arms. And then the third thing was if you wanted to play squash for 40 hours a week, like you were going to be able to do that. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? There, there were no, there were no boundaries. Like if you wanted to get good at squash, there was no excuse. And I think those, those are the kind of communities that I think are fading a little bit. And that's when you, that, you know, you, that's why you need a guy like Rob, you miss a guy like Stuart, um, you know, Jamie, Gary and Jonathan with the, with the NSA, like that dream of just like, if you want to get good at squash, like there's no excuses. Here's the place. Here's the passion. You know, here's the court time here's the gym, like do whatever you want, but you know, don't come out of here with any excuses that you, you weren't given the opportunity. So would you say that at the NSA, that's kind of where you started to build up that junior program? Like you started with the grassroots and now oh like, my God. how do you get 100%. some good hits, right? Like, 
one hundred percent. I mean, J- Jamie was Jamie was you know gave me the that fundamentals beginner program, um, and that was just I mean so much fun and like, you know the jokes the jokes that come out of it the young talent the like, you know I mean like 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 we had just like a golden era that that first group that came in we you know like Josh K uh, Josh K Walford Ar- uh, Arthur Naguyan Jenna. Uh, Maddie, like all, all these, all these amazing young kids. Um, and just like, you know, these kids are all teenagers now, right? Like 15, 16 years old. Like they're all cool, cool older kids now. And it's just like unbelievable to see them grow. And yeah, I mean, I learned so much from, from the talent that was there. You know, you talk about Jamie, um, for sure. One of the best coaches in Canadian history, like, like hands down. Um, and then you talk about Gary and Jonathan, like obviously infinite amount of squash knowledge. I mean, and then even at the time, you know, you had like Ian power working there and like, there's just so much talent in that building at any given time. And as just like an amazing place, I learned, I, I learned basically every trick I have, you know, up my sleeve these days from, from those early national squash Academy days. So I, I want to just go on the junior squash uh, topic a little more because I feel like obviously that's part of the reason for this podcast is like pick the brains of things you went through as a junior, things that you're going through like as a coach with the juniors you worked with uh, since graduating. So what's uh, if you could have a junior only do one type of off-court training, what would you recommend? I know they're Ooh, doing it. You I love it. One thing, what would it be? One type of off-court training something devastating like i think it's like would you consider like a like a hard circuit i would say off-court training just just because it has a little bit of everything i think a hard circuit um you know where you're doing probably equal parts cardio and uh strength yeah you know maybe like like 10 10 different exercises um you know depending on depending on the level of the level of the kid like you know physicality you do a minute on 30 seconds off 45 20 seconds something like that um if there was only one if there was only one thing because i think that covers like a lot of different things um you know I, like like you know and then, and then if you know if, 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 you, if you're wanting it also depends on the kid right it depends on their level that's 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 a really that's a really tough question like maybe for the older kids you know you want them doing like repeat 400s or hills or like you know, something that really taps into the energy systems. Um, whereas if it's a younger, you know, a 14 year old, you want them to start developing their strength. Ah, it's, that's, that's a, that's a, that's a really good question, Chris. Um, yeah. It's, I, I think, I think it's a little complicated, right? Like what about a 10, what about a 10 year old? You want them doing like, like almost more like, like coordination stuff and like get them, get them learning how to lunge and like, and squat and like, you know, develop the legs a little bit. So, sorry, it, it, sorry, you asked for one. And I'm no, I, I know it's tough. Like, you know, I think, of, you know, a big thing lacking in a lot of juniors, like I'm sure you find this too, is like mobility, right? So just, Absolutely. Uh, you know, it's just so important. Like kids are doing so much sitting, they're playing on their phones, like video games, like they're not as active as when we were kids where we're probably just like always on our feet, running around, playing sports outside. One, like, 100%, 100%. So I mean, no I don't, training. I don't remember many summers where I wasn't like, 
maybe maybe until I specialized in squash at like 14 or 15. Even then, I think it was playing on like a you know a rep soccer team or something or a select soccer team. But like up to then, I think I was playing like two or three sports a summer, right? Like tennis, soccer, baseball, play basketball with my friends. Um, and yeah, I mean, I, I hope I hope kids are doing some. You know what? This this is like this is kind of connected. It's like now now with all you know um, you know with COVID and everything, you know some parents are like, oh my god, we need to get my our kid back in squad. We need to get them. You know what? Maybe maybe use this time to just turn them into better athletes. Turn yourself into a better athlete. Get outside. Get on the track. You know, play a bunch of soccer. Play. And I know you're not supposed to like. You know, I know with social distancing and everything, it's harder. But like, develop your body outside run around, like do some hills, like pound, pound your body, like the solo practice, you know, maybe if you want to do a couple times a week, work on your technique, that's cool, but use this to like really develop your body. So that's, I mean, I think I'm going to make you answer another tough question because uh, it's again, if you could only pick one sport, so a kid was obviously I would say whatever sport they love would be the first choice, but let's say they just, they liked a bunch of sports or they equally liked uh, whatever sports, if they could do one sport in the summer or the off season that would help them for squash, what would you pick? Not nah, soccer. Soccer, yeah. It's actually that's actually an easy one for me. It's soccer. Yeah. Okay. The, just just like the coordination, um, the the footwork, what most most of all the fitness. Um, you look at a kid like George Crown. Um, you know, kids built like a horse. He, you know, he was a wicked wicked soccer player. Um, you know, before he was in, before he really got into squash. I remember even like a Liam Marison was a wicked soccer player. I remember like playing with him at camp a little bit. Um, most of like, you know, you, like a Dylan Deverell, I met like serious soccer skills. And then you see those kids move on court and it makes a lot of sense, yeah. right? Quick feet, quick split step, change of direction, agile, fit, like naturally fit, right? Naturally strong. Um, that's soccer's got to be the sport for me. And I played a ton of soccer before I played, you know, before I picked up a squash racket. And, you know, I, I think you're just naturally a good mover out there for, from a sport like soccer, I would say. Where, like, you know, hockey, hockey transfers well in some ways and not so well in other ways, right? Like, I find, I find the hockey players, it's, you know, they're so physically strong. It's a little bit of a clunkier movement. Um, they're a little bit heavier on their feet and like, you know, or soccer. I mean, these guys are just, they're just like feathers out there. Well, I think two years ago, world juniors, like when I was there, uh, coaching like George crown, I didn't see him get tired once, like in all his matches, like it was unbelievable. Like he's playing like, you know, you know, <sighs> the best junior in the world and like went forward with them and he still, by the end, didn't look tired. Like, you know, yeah. I, I definitely and I mean, to that. you know, some of that, some of that's probably a soccer background, but I mean, that kid's a horse. That kid was always a horse, right? I mean, he, he had about as naturally strong of a physical, um, you know, cardiovascular system as, as I've ever seen from any junior. And yeah, I, uh, I, I mean, that, yeah. yeah, like, and as we saw, once he started figuring out the squash stuff, um, the, the, the rest of it came pretty, pretty easily for him. Right. And so, uh, that, you know, that's a kid who's having great success now at Harvard and, and, you know, he's, you know, he loves the sport and what an ambassador for, for Canadian squash. Well, and something like, you know, when I think about somebody that athletic, like I've worked, I've worked with some kids who are like super fast and fit. And I found because they're so fast and fit that they don't have good hands because they basically, basically can play at a higher level than their actual physical uh, racket skill is allowing them to. So 
I, I don't know, how did someone like that or James Flynn, like how do you think those guys were able to still have both? Well, so, so, so James, so, James, so that's a really good question. So James and George are like, are very different athletes. So James is a tennis player as a kid and you can see it um, in, the, in the earliness he's able to strike the ball. And especially when he volleys, the, crisp, the crispness that he strikes, especially his attacking volleys, you don't get that from a lot of squash players naturally, right? Like he, he would just like punch it in. And that's very much from, from, you know, from, from tennis and coming to the net and being able to finish points. And you see, you know, you see his, 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 his I mean, James has absurd natural quickness as well, right? Yeah. And, and, I mean, let's be honest, like probably like as much competitive spirit as anyone I've seen in Canadian squash since I've been coaching, right? Like that guy's, that, that guy's about as good of a competitor as you can come by. And um, those guys are two very different athletes. George um, really, really, really worked on his technical game from ages 13 through 15, like ball machine session after ball machine session, solo after solo. Um, the kid was a workhorse. And whereas James probably more, a lot more, I would say, naturally talented with the racket, um, he, the stuff that he needed was more like, you know, pressure session based where I think, uh, you know, Jessica probably developed a lot of his, his attacking game at an early age. And, um, you know, that combined with tennis and, you know, disgusting talent um, allowed him to get ahead of the curve early in terms of his, in terms of his ball striking and I mean, I, like the, the thing is though, with, with both those guys, they, they're both blessed with different physical gifts. Yeah. Right. George, like we said, George about as good of an athlete as we've had, um, in, 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 you know, in Canadian junior squash and James probably about as talented of a ball striker and competitor as we've had in junior squash. And I mean, you know, those guys both worked hard in their games, but you're not, you're not getting though, you know, you get a thousand kids, you're not really getting even one of those guys probably, right? Yeah. Well, I mean, I like, yeah, watching them play like that close, close up in India, like I was super impressed. And I, I, you know, I said both to both of them after, like, I hope you guys, you know, consider going to play PSA, like when you're done at school. Because <laughs> I, I, I hope so as well. Have, we they need have the ability to do it. And you can tell they both actually like truly love squash and uh, they're so competitive. They were right up there with the top juniors in the world. And, and, that's, uh, and you, hit the, you hit the nail on the head there, right? It's, it's, it's competitive spirit. Yeah. And we haven't had kids go over there in a while, you know, go over to Worlds in a while and, like, you know, be as competitively, you know, um, competitively ferocious as the rest of the world for whatever reason. You know, you see it even at the CJO a lot is, like, you know, the, the Latin Americans and some of the Americans and, you know, some of the kids from around the world, they get on the, they get on court six, is it court six and seven? Those are the show courts, yeah. white right? They yeah. get on those courts and they're alive, right? Like this is what they live for. That's why they're here. They, they can't wait to get on battle where our kids go out there and they're like, Ooh, this, this feels strange. This feels foreign. Like I'm scared. Do you know what I mean? As, a, as, a, as, as opposed to embracing it. And I think that's why, you know, James and George and, you know, like Julian, that, that team, Julian, like those kids just had such ferocious competitive spirit. And uh, I think that's, you know, that's an intangible that's, that's just tough to, it's tough to coach, 
it's, it's, it's tough, tough to, to, to teach someone that. And, you know, we go back to the Robs and the Stewarts and, you know, the Nichols of the world. And like you teach you that that's passion, right? Like you, you know, you try and instill that passion in them and hopefully that, that comes out in those big matches. Well, also I'd say they, they were never intimidated. Like they had to play uh, top Egyptian players in the round of 16 and then individuals. And like, they all like, or actually, I think James played uh, Lionel Cardona. Yeah, so they, they played these top, like, all-ranked guys, all-ranked top uh, four in the tournament. And they were all, like, competitive. Like, they were right, you know, in the match. I mean, they didn't win them, but... Um, Absolutely. Know, they, weren't, they weren't intimidated. They were going in confident and actually were, like, looking forward to it. And I, and I felt like a lot of other kids at that tournament were like, oh, I'm at Worlds? Like, that's my goal. And now they're there and they're, like, kind of nervous about how they're going to do, but absolutely absolutely and too many of our kids go into these tournaments just assuming they're going to get slaughtered you know i mean or they say you know it's like we're saying they say the right words yeah i feel good i feel caught i'm playing well like i want you know when kids say stuff like oh i'd like to make the quarters i like to make the semis well what are you basing that off of do you know i mean how do you know who you're going to play how do you know who you're going to come up against how about you just say whoever you're going on court with like you're going to battle your tail off and you're going to leave it all out there. I don't want to hear, I don't want to hear you're going to make semis and then see you play in the first round, you know, looking like you're going to pee your pants. You know what I mean? Like, don't, don't tell me that. I want to see you battle from the first, you know, from serve one. And I want to see, I want to see some ferocious competitive spirit and that, you know, like that, that world's team had it. And I hope, I hope, I, I'm not sure right now, but I hope we can get back to that level of just fight and determination and, and, and confidence. So how do you work on that with a junior? Yeah, that's, I mean, like, like I said, like some of that, some of that is just like within, right? Some of that's kind of like the warrior within. And I mean, I, I, I've known a lot of kids. I've known a lot of kids. Like, and, and I'm talking about back when I was a junior, I've known a lot of kids that have had it. And I, I know a lot of kids that just don't have it. And I mean, you know, you can do, you can do mental sessions. Like, you know, we have, we have some great mental coaches, you know, like Marcy, we have, we have like a, some really good mental coaches. Um, but, but at the end of the day, like it's, it's about self-belief and it's about fight and it's, it's, some of it is tough to teach. Do you think they, you know what I mean? Do you think they fed off each other a bit though? They see one of the other guys do it and they're like, Hey, he can do it. I can do it. Do you think? Well, and I think, and I think that's why, you know, and you've, you, you know, this is, this is, is, is old as sports itself. When you have a rival, first of all, those two guys were ferocious rivals, right? Like, like from age, uh, was it 15, maybe 15 ish, 15, 16, uh, I'd say 16 and 17. Certainly those guys were, were murderous, uh, when they went up against each other, like some of the best junior matches I've ever seen. Um, so I think when you go through that with each other, you know, and then you, you add Liam and Elliot in the mix. Like, those guys were pushing those guys all the way through. Um, you know, and then they were trying to chase, at the same time, they're trying to chase Julian and Akasham and, you know, and Jackson, like, at an earlier age. And, you know, it's just like that you, when you push each other and when you've been through those type of battles, you're not going to be scared to go out there with a really good player. Like, you, 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 in your mind, you're thinking, is this guy really going to push me harder than these other kids I was playing, like, you know, four or five times a year, right? Like you look at our, you look at some of our gold tournaments that year, we were having like, just in Ontario, like Ontario gold tournaments, 
you're having James and George play in the finals and like bleeding on court, blood breaks, like, you know, going five over an hour and a half diving, like, like just, you know, like thinking it was death to lose. Right. And I mean, that's something you just don't see in enough of our age categories is that, that kind of level, um, you know, it, 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 in gold finals. And when you're, you know, when you're doing it locally, I think it, it makes the world a lot less intimidating. Well, that definitely inspires like, you know, the coaches, they enjoy watching that, but hopefully the younger kids they're watching too, right? They, they learn from watching PSA TV or they learn, you know, they have the role models of like the other kids who are in the U17, U19, those semi and finals. Like, absolutely. Uh, yeah, best, they're great role models for the, the well, well, me personally, I worshipped, I worshipped the, the, the older kids that I watched back in the day. Like, I remember you, um, you playing, you know, Rutherford and Jufri in, in that same Montreal tournament where Rob, you know, kicked me in the ass <laughs> for my three-board playoff. And, you know, it, it's just one age category up. And you're like, how am I ever going to get to this level? You know what I mean? You think the squash is so incredible. And then probably the level up from you, um, you know, was like, you know, like Sean Delier playing up against like Josh McDonald and like, yeah. you know, Dave, it's, yeah. it's just like, you know, you're, 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 there's just so many guys to idolize and try and play like, and like, you know, pick their brain. And, and it's just like, yeah, I mean, you know, if, if there's one thing I try to get, especially new kids and the younger kids at these squash tournaments, like, get off your phone and watch some matches, Yeah. right? Like, there's some great matches out here to watch. Like, watch as much as, you, as possible. Get inspired. Take it all in. I think Rob Brooks said the same thing. He's like how now he goes to the U.S. Open or the CJO, and, like, as soon as the kid's out, the, the parents take their kids home. I'm like, you're missing the best matches. Like that's You're missing match. the best matches, yeah. yeah. You should be watching and seeing what do the kids in the finals of your age group or the older age groups, what are they doing? Like, how do you get to that level? I mean, it's, it's, never, it's, never, felt, it's never felt more like time is money, right? Like, yeah. like I, I mean, like for my sessions, I mean, you know, our sessions are an hour and a half. I'd like to think they're pretty good. Right, they're a pretty solid level. I would always like them to be harder. You know what I mean? I'm always slightly disappointed at, 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 at you know the intensity level, but I think that's you know that's probably what fuels the product. But the, you know we got a world class gym at Lakeshore, a world class gym. Most of these kids are members, and you know what? They as soon as the session's over, most of them are doing you know kind of a half ass five minute stretch, check their phone a little bit, you know, and then their 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 parents are like, get in the car now. You know what I mean? Some of them are leaving 10 minutes early because like, the parents are like, let's get out of here now. It's like, you know what? You go to the gym for half an hour after one of those sessions and do a few things, you're going to be soaring past these other kids. And it's just like, just a little bit more dedication, a little bit more time, a little less rushing. And, that's, where and need, just, that's where you need a leader in there, right? To kind of just start doing that and, uh, and leading by example. But I mean, you know, absolutely in Toronto, right? You have like, everyone's commuting all over the place and like it's you know I mean yeah like it's just I mean that's kind of why I, I didn't want to be coaching in Toronto because I don't want to be doing those like hour commutes and or stuck in traffic and it's it's tough and you know what as it, it, they don't always want to hear from the coach I've just been like I've been on you guys for 90 minutes I can make a suggestion to go to the gym but like it's like Greg you know we've heard enough from you you just made you know we did it we do our little 10 minute fitness session at the end you know 10 15 minutes it's hard. You know what? It's, it's tough. 
Um, it's, it's, it's reasonably tough, but like, you know what? None of this is enough. Guess what? You want to be one of the best players in the world? You know what? At this point, if you want to get into an Ivy League school, like that's, that's the standard. That's how high the standard is. You got to do more. It's not enough. Whatever you're doing, like every junior should be listening to this. Every parent should be listening to this. Whatever you're doing right now is not enough. I promise you that. Well, that's what I actually want to ask you next, because obviously, you know, we both went to Western, like we saw, you know, the level of the game then and, you know, what the level is, you know, even higher now. So like, what do you think like juniors should be doing if that's their goal? They want to, you know, go play at Western and like be number one, or they want to go, you know, to play with, you know, George or, or uh, uh, maybe George at Harvard or uh, James. So, at like, what do they, what do they have to do to get there? So look, so look, generally, I get it. We're, we're a little bit up against it. And I, you know, I, I, I researched this a little bit more this year, what some of the problems are. A lot of our elite players, especially in Toronto are going to private schools and the pressure is immense. And the, the, the academic pressure is crushing these kids. So not only do they have limited time to train. Uh, and first of all, I don't want, I don't want this to sound like an excuse. I don't like excuses. Um, you want to do something, you do it, you'll find a way. But not only are these kids limited in time because they have to study so freaking much, which, which is just like, I, I think it's over the top personally. Um, the studying is just like insane. Um, but these kids are bagged all the time. Yeah. These kids are always tired. You know, you look at them come in, it looks like the weight of the world's on their shoulders. Uh, it's, it's a lot of pressure. Now, the, now what, what a lot of people will say, what about the American kids? These American kids all go to prep schools. Well, guess what? These kids are going to prep schools where they've got a, a coach on an $80,000 retainer with 10 brand new glass back courts, you know, that a few millionaires have pumped into the school with three or four other top juniors, their age training with them. Some of them boarding together. So not only can they practice together, Hey, Hey buddy, you want to go hit a ball, like hit a ball for an hour? Sure. You want to go run some Hills? Sure. You've always got people to do it with. This like, oh my, like these poor kids are like lone war, like lone ninja warriors out here, you know, having to travel 45 minutes to an hour to practice, grind out their practice, three hours of homework ahead of them. It's just like, you know, they're up against it. But at the end of the day, if you want to do it, you're going to do it. Well, I mean, I, I worked at St. Michael's for eight years, right? So I worked at a private school and that was a big challenge. Like, you know, it's, you know, oh, I have an exam tomorrow. I can't come to practice. I'm like, oh, we have a big tournament next week. Like, how are you, like, why are you even going to play? Like, if you're not prepared. One, 100%. 100%. And can't you know what? You can't go to a college and be like, oh, sorry, coach. I can't come to practice tomorrow. Like, I have an exam. Like, I'm like, what are you talking about? Like, that's, you have to balance your time and you can do both. Like, Ali Pereg went and he became world number one. He went to Harvard. Like, you can I know. do it if you manage your time. I know. And you know what? consistency consistency is so important in training like it's you know if, if you're going to list off like five of the most important things consistency is going to be one of the things that that like that i'm going to list every time you need to be consistent and there are so few kids i work with that are consistent you know they'll kill it for two weeks then you won't see them for two weeks right oh i had exams oh we're you know school trips and then, you know, some of this stuff, you can't have a school trip. You can't help it. But like, that's, that's the trade-off sometimes when you're going to some of these private schools is just like all this stuff being thrown your way. And like, you know, you're, you're either going to get it done or you're not right. It's just like, 
I, I can't, I can't come do my lesson because of, because of, you know, school, I have, I have an exam. Well, you know what? There's going to be a kid that also has an exam that will do it. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> he's going to be the one that gets into the school and plays on the team. He, yeah, he, he, or, he or she is going to blow past you. And you know what? You're, you're going to be a jack of all trades. I'm sorry. You know, jack of all trades, master of none. You're just, you're, you know, if you're spreading yourself out that thin, then that's how it's going to be. I'm sorry. But like, you know, if you want to get it done, you'll find a way. So if let's, let's look forward a little bit. So the kid gets into a, a university, he's on a varsity team. Like uh, what characteristics would make a good teammate for some? Because most kids have never been on a team or very few have been on a team. And you know, it's so, different than being. So I don't, first of all, I don't necessarily agree with that. Certainly in Ontario, it might've been a little bit different in BC. Um, certainly in Ontario, we have actually quite a few team events. Um, there's the Ontario, you know, Ontario winter games, um, Ontario games, all that stuff. Um, you know, the elite kids are playing Canada winter games. Um, a lot of them play T and D, right? So, you know, as you and I did religiously as juniors, um, like they're, they're, you know, and it's never, it, obviously that stuff's not like being on a college team for a full season where at some point during the season, you know, you're getting it, you're getting beefy with like your teammates and like you guys are getting on each other's backs and like you have to balance like egos and, and all that stuff. But like, you know, we do, there is a little bit of a taste, I would say, um, in, in team squash and it's tough. Like you got to be pretty selfless. Right. And I remember like, like the, like the, you, I think was it, was it your rookie year? You played six, which was obscene. Was that it? Yeah. First year. Yeah. First year, you were, you were clearly, uh, you might have been the best player on the team. You were certainly top two or three. Um, and you were playing six, just that's, that's how it worked out for whatever reason. And you didn't complain once. And that was your undefeated season, right? Uh, yeah. But yeah, you had an undefeated season. And look, like, was that the year we, did we finish fifth that year? Yeah, that was the highest I finished while I was there. So yeah. that was, yeah, so we finished fifth. And I mean, a big part of that is because, like, we could lock in one, one point. Chris Hanabry was going to beat, I think you beat, you beat Princeton, uh, you beat Harvard, like you, you beat all these, the, the guys from all these teams, right? Yeah, but and I think that, the six of us, the top six of us were all super close. Like we were all really good. So I felt like whoever <laughs> played six was going to win. Like we were, we had good depth. I, that that might've been the case, but you, st first of all, you still have to get the job done. It's easy to say like any of us would win to go out there in those pressure situations and win the match, especially like playing six, um, Six means you're going out there first. Yeah. So, like, it always counts. Like, six, you know, yep. whereas, you know, if you're playing one, four, or seven, a bunch of the times your match doesn't even count. It's already decided. Like, you play six, that match counts. Like, that's a pressure match. So, like, that's – and that's selfless. And that, that makes – and I remember, like, you know, me and you were running practices, right? Like, me and you – I mean, I remember those horrible nights where we went and ran hills. Yeah. Um, we're doing those awful circuits on the, you know – at London squash at nine o'clock at night. Right. And you know what? Like, like you need guys on your team that are going to do that. And there's going to be followers on the team and there's going to be leaders on the team. That's a natural way of the world. And like, if, if you're going to be a follower on a team, you better fall in line. I'm sorry. You better play your challenge matches. You better show up to practice. Um, and you better, you better fight your tail off. And if you're going to be a leader, you better give it to people straight and you better be fair, right? Those, those are the kind of the two 
the two main categories you fall in on a college team, um, you know, and some have, have obviously have, have qualities of both, but like you better, you better, if you're going to, if you're going to be a bit of a follower and you're not, you know, you're not, not going to step up and you're not going to make suggestions and you're not, you know, going to do some of this other stuff, you better, sh- you better show up and work your tail off. And that's, that's what I would say. Like it's, it's bigger, it's bigger than you and your ego and where you want to play on your team, on the team. I'm sorry. It doesn't matter where you want to play on the team. It's where you belong on the team. Right. And there, there's very fair ways to determine what, what number you're going to play on the team. And if you're going to be a pain in the ass and you're going to complain about it and you're going to whine about it and you're going to pout about it, you're probably better off just not being in the lineup really. Yeah. No, I mean, I think a, a win's a win, right? Like you have nine matches, you need to win at least five. So nine counts the same as one. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So like, so, so when you, when you put it that way, it's just about ego. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. Nine yeah. counts the same as one. Yeah. So like, it's, it's not, it's not like you're, you're like, Oh, I want to play one because it, it's worth more. And I think, I think I can come through. You're, you want to play one because you want to tell everyone you're playing one. Right? Like that's, that's usually what it comes down to. And look, fair is fair. If you want to play one because you've worked hard and you deserve it and you beat everyone on the team, that's fantastic. Every, of course, of course, I, of course I wanted to play one. Of course you wanted to play one. Well, sometimes I played one and I really didn't want to play one <laughs> and I didn't necessarily deserve it, but Jack threw me to the wolves. Um, but yeah, like, like, of course I would want to play one if, if, if I was beating everyone, but like, I'm not going to pretend that I'm the best player on the team if I'm losing to a bunch of guys, right? Like that's just, that's just counterproductive. Yeah. Well, I, I know that was like a really fun team and like, you know, obviously you still have a lot of close friends from that, that era. A little, little too fun. Yeah, I know. But we, we, I definitely, you got to come back to London and uh, come for a visit. And obviously you already know some of the kids on the Western team. So I'm sure, you know, a lot of them would like uh, enjoy to see you and, uh, just what yeah, you-, you know what? I'm, actually, like Jackson and I, Jackson K, who I, he's probably captain coming this year coming up, right? Uh, yes, yeah, yeah, certainly deserves it. Um, Jackson and I were, were in heavy talks about about getting me out sometime over March break. March break turned into obviously COVID. Yeah. Um, but I, I was definitely going to come down and check out. You know, check out. He's just had so many positives to, things to say where the team was headed. You know what I mean? And when you, when you talk to lead, talk about leadership, you see a guy like that. You know, Jackson since he was 10, right? Yeah. And that's a guy who's turned into just like an, an awesome young man. Now he's, you know, captain at Western, um, you know, talking about the amazing things that are going on there. Talking, you know, everyone's talking about how excited they're, you know, to have a, co- like a coach that knows a lot about squash with your experience. I mean, what amazing things are happening there, right? So if you could go back now, like knowing what you know, because when we were at Western, we didn't, you know, like Jack would take us to tournaments and he was amazing, but like, you know, he wasn't there at practice. And like, um, so what, what would you tell yourself now if you could have coached yourself back in Western? Like, what would you have worked on? Or- so are you saying, are you saying in between, like, like during a match? Or no, no, like, just or like, like improved in your game. What would you have been like, Greg, you got to work on this. You got to, this has to be better. Like, what do you think? Cons- consistency. Yeah. Consistency. The consistency, I think, let us all down, I would say. Um, like, like you and me would both put in some devastating patches of work. Um, it, it just wasn't consistent enough. And I just don't think, I don't think we had, I think we needed a little bit more motivation. Um, I, need, I think we needed someone kicking our ass a little bit more. We need things to be a little more organized. Don't forget, the kids now, uh, 
they're, tr they're training a bunch at school, right? Yeah. Like they're practicing at school. We're, go we're going to London squash at nine o'clock at night. Like, yeah. Yeah. In the middle of winter. Yeah. You want to talk about a depressing time to train. <laughs> yeah, without you know, a coach, yeah. Without a coach. Yeah. Hauling your ass to London squash in the middle of the night when your friends are, you know, hammering a few back or like, you know, crushing video games or like, you know, even studying or whatever. And we're just like, well, time to go play a challenge match in the yeah. ice cold, yeah. and the ice you, cold London squash. Course. Yeah. And how do you keep your teammates accountable? Right. Like, you know, we have no authority over them. Like, you know, it's just 100%. Like, yeah, if, that's it. If a guy, if a guy told us he wasn't playing his challenge match, were we going to throw him off the team? Yeah. Like that, that's, that's not on us. Yeah. We didn't have the doubt. So, so for me, yeah, I, I you know, and, and the, the consistency wasn't good enough, I would say. And, you know, there's, I mean, I'm not going to lie and say there's not distractions at Western because like, you know, you easily get distracted. I'm not going to go into specifics there. Um, <laughs> GTs. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's just like, I, I wish, I wish, I was a little bit more organized with my own squad. And you know what? Part of it, like, I'm sure you'll totally agree with me. When you have to organize everyone else's stuff, you know, when you're organizing everyone else's challenge matches, you're organizing practices. Sometimes your own game takes a bit of a hit, right? And it's, it's kind of the same as coaching. It's, it's hard to keep your own level up when you're worried about everyone else. And you don't have anyone else telling you what to do, right? Yeah. Like that's, you know, that's, that's kind of the trade-off. And, you know, I, I wish... I, w I was so keen on squash for a bunch of times at Western and I feel like I didn't necessarily get what I wanted out of it, especially in terms of my level, my development. So some of that's a little bit disappointing for me. And from the sounds of it, those guys have kind of righted the ship a little bit and they found a winning formula. And now I think with you there, it's only going to get better. So, I mean, I I'm really happy for the program because, you know, it was a bit of, a little bit of a mess when we were there. Yeah, I mean, we did well considering what we had to work with, but uh, definitely, hopefully, uh, I can bring, you know, a bit more stability and, uh, you know, help with recruiting and just, you know, giving more guidance to the guys. And, uh, you know, I think hopefully just that's what we need to get back into, uh, you know, the top eight again. And Div one, yeah. That, yeah, I, I, I think you guys will, for sure. Yeah. So a couple, just want to finish with a couple uh, kind of, other random kind of squash questions to pick your brain a little bit and uh, then I'll let you get to get to bed. I know it's been a long, long interview, but, uh, Oh man, this has been awesome. I, I can go. No, I, mean, I, I can talk squash and obviously with you, uh, you know, it's good to talk about the, the junior days, the Rob days, the, the uh, Western days. So I can, I can go on. I don't know how many people are going to make it this far in the episode, but, uh, I, I will. I'm sure Brad will find it funny and some of our teammates. I, I, know, I know a few people that'll, that'll still be tuning in to this point. Okay, so what do you think's the most underrated shot in squash? Straight draw. Okay. Straight draw all day. If you, I mean, if you, don't, if, you don't, if you don't have a solid straight drop, like how, how are you attacking? Yeah. This is, and this, I mean, I, I can think of so many kids. I'm not going to throw anyone under the bus. Um, but like, you know, so many juniors think the only way to, to attack is to go for a nick, right? Which is like the most junior way to play squash where, you know, and you, you get, you get a guy, you get a guy like Robin Clark. I remember, you know, I've done, I've done some camps and some sessions with him and he is just murdering the kids to bring the ball in short with the straight drop. Right. And I think even like a Graham riding, uh, you know, I, he, he's, he's running by like a bunch of juniors. It's like, bring that ball in straight and short. 
yeah. right? Straight and short, no sidewall. Um, get, the, get your opponent moving forwards. Then you're all over them on the next shot. That straight drop is so important. Well, you know, Graham Williams actually had the same answer. And uh, I know Chris Robertson, uh, he's coaching, a uh, national coach in Hong Kong. I know he has this, like, basically framework for coaching. And that's basically his thing is, like, basically, uh, like 99.9% .9 of the time when you bring it in short, only straight drop. That's his kind of main thing. But, yeah. Yeah, I mean, if you, if you watch Egyptian squash, maybe that percentage is a little high. But like, yeah, yeah. Straight drop, straight drop. So what, what's a favorite drill? If either two of your uh, students are doing it together or are you doing it with somebody? You know what? I love, I love all, I mean, a lot of people will disagree with me. I love all length plus straight attack. Um, and again, like, you're basically you're basically winning off straight drops, right? You know, obviously some straight kills and like you know you can play all length, but like all length straight attack. I mean, that's if if I if I if I'm if I'm doing a sparring session with a kid, um, we're always going to do that. You know, before we play a couple games, um, you know, ask ask any of the kids. I'm, I you know I, I spar with a lot. You know, ask an Nikhil or a Usby or like a you know obviously like Flynn and George. Like that we're, we're doing all length plus straight drop. Like it's happening um sorry all length plus straight attack yeah. and uh yeah again just like polishing your straight attack game cut out the boast cut out the cross court attack um i guess also in some ways that's to save me from moving diagonally but uh <laughs> <laughs> and you have a good straight forehand kill I, I remember that shot yeah exactly yeah <laughs> let, let's let's work the ball over to the right side so i can crack a few forehands yeah. um but uh yeah that's that that's the one i would go to and so would that be the, your favorite shot to teach as well? Would it be the straight drop or straight kill or? I, I do, I do a lot of straight drop stuff. Um, I mean, I'm always, I'm always going to get the kids, you know, I'm going to try to get the kids on the volley. Um, I can do a lot of straight, a lot of straight hitting, ton of straight hitting. You know what, you know what another one I like to do a lot to work in the cross court is um, all length. If you're in front, you can go cross. Very simple one, but it get you know it, it teaches the kids to kind of move up, take control of the tee, only cross the ball when you're in front. Um, if you're behind, tr you know, trying to steady the ship a little bit, uh, that that's another one I really like too. The, the, you know what? That's those that's kind of like the bread and butter of my coaching. Kind of those those two drills, I'd say in a nutshell, are the way I like I like to teach kids how to how to play. Yep. You know what? I'd like to bring a little bit more deception in. Um, it's a lit, you know. Uh, not quite as good probably at some of the, you know, the more advanced go, you know, like a Jamie or like a John Hill um, with the deception stuff. Um, but like, you know, that th those two drills would be kind of how, how I like to build, build the kids game. Well, I think it's, you know, that it shows their thinking too. Right. And they're actually being proactive. They're looking to do something. So. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Um, so what's something you've learned in the past season about squash or about coaching? Uh, you know what, Chris, like I used to be, I used to be a little bit more married to certain types of movement, um, certain ways to strike the ball. I'd say like probably four or five years ago, maybe even less. I was very, very specific, um, with how I taught movement and technical hitting, um, I'm a lot more versatile now, I would say. 
And a lot of that has come with, um, I've probably doubled down on how much PSA I'm watching. And I mean, you watch PSA, good Lord, are, are there like a ton of different ways the guys and girls are moving to the ball, right? Yep. Especially in the back corners, um, you know, how they like to take the ball in the attack. And so instead of kind of telling the kid what to do, um, I'm sort of shifted. And I think the kids I'm working with would probably tell you the same, hopefully. I've shifted a lot more to introducing a few options um, of how to do things in different situations. Do you know what I mean? Yep. Like, like presenting, you know, presenting like an open stance and a two foot plant and kind of like, you know, um, like, 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 like a few different options in the corners, um, you know, a few different ways maybe to, 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 to hit your forehand out of the back um, show and, you know, show more like, open, open up your strings in this situation, flatten the ball out in this situation, um, you know, depending on the level of the kid. But I definitely feel like I've gotten more versatile and more flexible um, depending on the kid's comfort levels. Every kid's going to be different, right? You got to coach every kid slightly differently. Um, you know, not, not, not every, not two kids are going to play the same way. And so I've just tried to be a little bit more versatile with some of that stuff. Yeah. And I think as the kid gets better, they enjoy those fine little, pieces a little more right because they're like 100 percent thing and it's the littlest tiniest thing it's like oh just a little more cut or a little shorter swing or it's just like a new toy yeah it's just like oh this is like now it's all like a whole new thing to play around with and that's i don't know that's why i've always actually liked solo hitting because that's i can play around with that small little adjustment 100 percent this is actually way better so and you know what i played i played a bunch of tennis this summer like because obviously squash is down and, and tennis is a lot easier you know, and I'm going on the court with, with, with Robin quite a bit. You know, Robin's like a masterful coach, um, especially technically. Wow, like, like in squash, right? And it transfers to tennis. And, like, he'll, tell, he'll, he'll give me sort of one tip with my tennis swing. And, like, the enjoyment you get out of just, like, you know, tweaking something and feeling the difference. And just, like, like, like that open-mindedness to be coachable, right? And that's, you know what, I think that's a really underrated skill i've talked to a few kids about this it's an underrated skill to have as a player coachability right like to be coachable is an incredible skill uh like to be open-minded about fixing things um you know like a, like like neil and Nikhil ishmael two of the most coachable kids you could ever imagine right they're always willing to tweak things they're always willing to go on the solo court to practice um, whatever, whatever you tell them, you know what I mean? They have that kind of level and respect for a coach and they're that open-minded and, and they enjoy working on things. That is such an underrated skill as a player, I would say. Not, not underrated by us. That's for sure. <laughs> not underrated by us. We, you know, when, when we say it, when we see it, yeah, we're like, yeah. Oh my God, this is incredible. This yeah. lesson's flying by. Yeah. Um, but you know, the flip, the flip side, a kid, a kid that, you know, is kind of stubborn and like, why do, why do I have to do this? Why would I do this? I, I can get away with this. It's like, okay, you can get away with that. Like how's losing in the second round of goal tournaments working out for you, <laughs> right? So like, yeah, you, 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 want, you want kids to be a little bit more open-minded. Well, sometimes it's like they're, like some people just like doing something a certain way because that's what they're good at or they think they're good at. And if they make a change now, their, their skill goes down temporarily and they just don't have the ability to sometimes make a change. And that's, I know. And it's like the tough thing about a coach though, knowing like, okay, maybe this, this kid actually can't physically do this. Like, 
I know. And for me, it's like, we're in a private lesson with nobody watching. Like, what do you care? Like, why not just try it? Yeah. Um, okay, last, last couple of questions. So who's your favorite pro, uh, pro player to watch? So, um, it's a good, you know what? I, I've got, I went through a bunch of, I went through a bunch of different stages. Are you saying ever? Uh, sure. I'd say for technical, for just like technical hitting, just watching, like I always loved watching Will Strop just kind of pick targets off move the ball around beautifully. And you know what? A lot of people have, have, have kind of given me crap about it for, oh, like his movement, like he's just such an inferior. But you know what? That almost made it more enjoyable to watch him sort of like, you know, pick these, like, these you know, elite athletes apart just with his marksmanship and, you know, understanding of the game and deception and, and flair. And I mean, I just, I just so many enjoyable matches watching him. And again, like, I know, I, I, you know, not, not that he's my favorite player, but I love watching Sherbaggy matches just because, you know, it's almost watching like Djokovic in tennis where the guy is going to try and break this guy down for, for an hour or an hour and a half. And he's going to throw ferocious pace at you. He's going to move, you know, like a maniac. Uh, he's going to fight his tail off. One of the best competitors that the sport's ever seen. And if you have your best, best day, probably can take them out. But, you know, what does that happen? A few times a year, maybe? Yeah. Right? Not so, yeah. I mean, it's just like, it, it's, it, that's always such an enjoyable uh, confrontation for me, you know, to watch, you know, watch like a Farag or like a Gawad or like, a, you know, Rosner or Gautier, like when he, you know, when he was at the top of his game. I'm watching these guys, or like obviously the Rammy Sherbaggy battles were, were insane. Um, but yeah, like, like the, I mean, you watch pro squash now, there's just so much to choose from. The level's so high. Um, I mean, I was watching so much before, before COVID. Yeah. <clears throat> probably, more, probably more than I ever have in my entire life. I know, um, we need some new tournaments coming. Yeah, I mean, there, there, were, there was just so much going on. Um, and now, yeah, probably, now everyone's retiring. Like, how many pros have retired in the last uh, four months, like? And it's going to keep going, like, for sure, as long as the stretch continues. Yeah, the, the, sport, the sport's definitely in a little bit of trouble right now. And I hope, I hope they find a way. Um, I hope they get some good people, like, 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 brainstorming and figuring it out. But, you know, I'm a little worried right now about the sport. i got to be honest. Yeah. Um, you know, even, you know, talking to, talking to Mike McHugh a lot about it, like, you know, his thoughts. Like, you know, he's, he's you know, he's, he's probably going in a different direction at this point. And it, it's, it's – it's, it's a good time to do it because, you know, there, there's so much uncertainty with the sport. And look, these, these guys, you know, around Mike, Mike's level, Nick's level, you know, the Badgers level, like, these guys aren't wealthy guys. Like, you know, they, they, they need these tournaments to scrape out a living. And, and I mean, without them, they're just going to go do something else. Yeah. Like, or at least like, they need a club to go and do an exhibition or to play like some. 100%. Like, 100% or they need or they need some junior programs to scrape out a few bucks here and there. like that's, so that's how they make, they make a living yeah and so uh, yeah I'm really worried about the sport when you think about it in, in terms of that level you know like Sherbaggy's Sh going to be fine right Farag is going to be fine Gawad's going to be fine like Diego's going to be fine like these guys are going to be fine it's 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 the, it's the middle of the pack that's just going to get murdered here yeah. and without those guys you're not going to have a tour 
and Canada's not a cheap place to live, right? It's not like you're living somewhere where it's like, you know, you know, I'm sure in places in India or, or Pakistan, you can get by with like, you know, a lot less money. But like, if you're living in Toronto and you're like, you know, a professional squash player, like you, <laughs> life is expensive. Like you're not, you're probably barely scraping by even. Man. So. Yeah. Like Nick, I mean, I, I think, I think Nick went back home. I'm pretty sure. Yeah. Um, Mike, Mike has a great deal at his place, but like, you know, he's, I mean, it's, it's tough for these guys and I feel for them. And, you know, these are, these are our best, these are our best athletes right now in squash. And like, we need, I mean, we, we should be doing what we can to support them through the dark times just to make sure we have a national team like yeah. in a year or two, right. Or we're going to be yeah. in big trouble. Oh, yeah. So that, that brings me to like my last kind of topic here, because I'm just curious, like what percentage do you think of Canadian juniors have aspirations of playing professionally? You want a percentage? Well, just a guess. Do you think like any, like, do you think there's like 5% of juniors in Canada? You know or what? I think or do any, the, like, the, I don't know. Like, the pattern I've seen, the pattern I've seen for, it's, it's dropping off year, year after year. Like, so when I first started coaching juniors, you know, probably, um, what is it, like 10 years ago now, eight, eight nine years ago or whatever, um, I think there's a lot of kids at age 12, 13, you know, it sounds amazing. Like, oh, I want to go pro. I want to play PSA. You know, you're, you're a kid. You fall in love with a sport. You're like, oh, oh yeah, I'm going to train. I'm going to train X amount of hours. That, like, I'm just going to get amazing. And then you hit 15 years old. Maybe you've been to the British Open. Maybe you've been to the U.S. Open a few times and gotten, gotten it handed to you. All of a sudden, you're, you know, you're like, ooh, you know what? I think I'm just going to try to get into a college. Um, you know, maybe PSA is being a little bit ambitious. And then you turn 16, 17, SAT, you know, SAT scores aren't where you need them to be. Losing in the second round of the U.S. Open. Uh, all of a sudden, you're like, you know, <laughs> like hopefully I get into a Canadian school. Yeah. It's, it's, again, words are easy, right? Like, it's, it's, it's easy to say stuff. It's easy to say I want to play pro. Squash is a weird sport where you, you say I want to play pro, and hey, you know what? You could play pro. Say so, like go yeah, go play yeah. a couple, yeah. go qualify for a couple five games. <laughs> you're a pro squash player. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, does there, there's plenty of guys in Canada that are doing that? Just, like, does that mean you're a pro? I don't know. If you're talking about like a top hundred PSA pro, where you're actually putting in hard yards, you're doing you know two sessions a day, six hours a day. You got you know minimal life. Uh, you're on the road all the time. I haven't heard too many kids talking about that these days. Yeah. And I mean, you know what, after James took out Victor Cruen, which is, you know, one of the most absurd results I've ever heard. Yeah. I watched um, that match. Pr I mean, pr pretty ridiculous. Uh, you know, he, he was expressing an interest in playing pro and I mean, hopefully, hopefully this whole COVID, you know, this whole COVID thing hasn't deterred him and hopefully he'll, you know, he still has those kind of goals. But, I mean, we need it badly. Like, well, I think the reason why he actually – he can beat those kind of guys, he can rise that level is, like, he – like we talked about earlier, he enjoys that, right? Like, he wants that opportunity. Oh, yeah. He's not intimidated. Loves the spotlight, too. Yeah, I know. And I think he's – you know, he's confident in his, in, in, in his ability, even though he doesn't have the pedigree that Victor Cruin does. Like, it's uh, – you know, and, I mean, and you know what? Like, pressure's on Victor in that match. And he's playing on his home court. Like, he's you – know, I know. He must have felt good going into that match. I mean, and you know what, the, the, and, and like, like to, to your point there, like, 
the the best the best thing I ever you know Jonathan had so many amazing quotes um you know some just completely outrageous obviously and some just like you know just so so like on the money um he said you know you know the, the best players are were never afraid to spin the racket right and yeah. you know for those who need that deciphered a little bit the best players are never scared to look someone in the eye and say like let's play love all like let, let's go and you see, you know, you see it a lot of, in a lot of these junior programs, kids don't want to get out there. Like they, they, they want to, they want to play, they want to play threes. They want to play the kids they like to play. There's some kids they are scared of. They don't want, you know, you put them on with the kid. Ah, I hurt my ankle. Like, uh, I, oh, my knee's a little sore. I have a, a tournament this weekend. Like at the end of the day, like the best players are the kids that are going to play anybody. Yeah. right anybody anytime Willie Hose used to tell me the same thing like oh, like like w- Willie how did you get so good I played effing anybody you know what I mean yeah. like that's at the end of the day like if you're not scared to get on court with anyone that's going to go a long way yeah so do you think Canada's ever going to have like another top 10 or top five player like again this is something I talked to Mike like quite a bit about like with the current infrastructure I don't see it I don't, I don't think we're putting, we're just, I don't think there's enough kids in the system. That being said, you don't necessarily need a ton of kids, kids in the system produce Diego's from Peru. Yeah. Can't imagine they had more juniors playing squash than us. No. You know what I mean? And sometimes it just takes that kind of like prodigious talent out of nowhere that, that could just shock you. You know what I mean? All of a sudden, maybe we just have this like outrageous athlete that just like is obsessed with squash and we'll do anything and go anywhere to achieve it. And I mean, if there's one, one thing, unfortunately, is you're probably with our current infrastructure, probably going to have to go abroad for a decent stretch of time to, to, to achieve that. Just don't know how I haven't seen kids that are, are willing to do that. Right. No, I think Jonathan did that, right? Like Jonathan went. Jonathan for uh, sure did that. I think. uh, Jonathan for sure did that. Gary, I don't know at what age Gary went to Australia um, for sure. Um, I'm trying to think of some of our other, some of our other great players. I mean, Sean was just such like an outrageous talent. Uh, Shahir obviously spent a ton of time growing up in Egypt. Um, Graham, I'm not sure if Graham... Trying to think if Graham uh, trained abroad, I can't remember. And he, might, I thought he might might have played in like some of those European leagues to make like that was where you get to play the top players. Like early team. on, very very yeah. early in his career. Yeah, but yeah. I'm not um, sure, but I think a lot of guys did that. You got to go abroad at some point. We just don't have. We, I just don't think we have like the high end talent. Like you don't have the sparring partners. Um, you, you, you're gonna you're gonna have to do it, and probably the earlier the better. To be honest. Yeah, and you you need to probably get on with other like people that are better than you. And at a certain point, if you're the best, like you gotta, you know, if you're the best at your club, you go to another club, you go to a bigger city. But if you're the best in Canada, like, you know, you gotta go somewhere else and get your money. You gotta get out. Yeah, and I mean, you know, maybe we'll see on the low end of that spectrum. Um, maybe we'll see some ki- some more kids going to American prep schools. That might be one way. Some of these American prep schools have some wicked talent, right? And like great coaching. If you got ten, if you got ten glass back courts, a world class gym, other kids to train with, like you're you're pretty good, right? Yeah, you're pretty I, set. I, 
I think that's something Canada actually needs to really improve. Like just, I know there's a lot of private schools that have squashes in their curriculum. A few have courts, but like none of them really have coaches. None of them have like, you know, recruit players to go there and go and play tournaments as a team. And, you know, we did, I that, mean, we did that at St. Michael's, but it still wasn't to the level that the U.S. is doing. No, and Jamie's been all over the schools in Ontario, like the private schools in Ontario for that. I think Applebee's actually, um, is it Applebee or Ridley? Maybe Ridley. One, one of those schools anyway has, has, has some new courts coming in. Might be Ridley, actually. I might be wrong. I'm going to sound, I'm going to sound really, really <laughs> off on this one. Don't worry, no one's <laughs> going to listen this long anyways, Hudson. Yeah. <laughs> you um, safe with me. It's, it's, it's a travesty to me that UCC doesn't have squash courts. Like, give me a break with the kind of money that school has and the kind of money that they could easily fundraise for. Like, it would take them a split second. All the squash players that have gone to that school and would be willing to pump money into it. You know what? And you get yourself a coach. You get yourself a decent coach who runs their own program. You know, something like you would have done outside of school hours. All of a sudden, your, your place is, 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 is exploding. You're going to get two to three foreign kids coming to your school every year, right? Enrolling in your school just to play squash because yeah. they want to play squash there. Crescent, I mean, the, the courts are from the dinosaur, like the dinosaur age. Uh, let's, 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 like, let's uh, pep those up a little bit, guys. Well, imagine like, how do, how do these, how do the wealthiest schools in Toronto not have squash? Well, imagine if you were a kid and you had courts at your school and you were like, playing squash and you were like super keen like it would have been every day after school right or before every day every every day day. yeah yeah and i mean and then you know and then all you need is a few other decent kids on your team yeah right and you're good you see like look like 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 the kids that have gone to ucc the last few years um and where where do they i I mean where do they practice like the dunfield like the bnr the dunfield club or something you look at like both ishmael brothers james flynn griffin manley um, I, I, sorry, sorry guys, like I'm, I'm leaving some of you out, but like, these are all top players in Canada, right? Like get these kids some courts. Yeah, I know. It would make a big difference. And then I think, you know, they would enjoy just like, they'd be proud of like having all the strong talent there. And like, you know, just their other friends at the school who are like not into squash, but they might get into squash because they're like, their friends are all playing and they see how much fun they're having. And absolutely. We'll look at like SAC, SAC is the only SAC is the only school that like kind of has it together um, in terms of a squash program. They, you know, it's, it's not like they're pumping a world-class talent there, but they've got a ton of kids that are just like, you know, getting into the sport just because there's nice courts there to play on with their friends. Yeah. Right. And you talk to some of the kids that go there, the kids are playing like two hours a day. You know what I mean? And again, they're not superstars and a lot of them pick it up late, but they love it. Right. And if you imagine if all, the, all these private schools were doing that, you know, we'd be, we'd be pumping like two, 300 more kids into squash every year. Yeah. Make a big difference for sure. But uh, I mean, we're both trying to do our part. So I guess, uh, you know, that's, that's all we can really control, but hopefully, you know, come on private schools. Amy's really on the ball of squash Ontario. So if anyone's going to get that happening, it'll be him for sure. Yeah. Well, on, on his laundry list of, of, of things <laughs> to take care of. A million things to do. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. Hubs, I, I'll, I'll let you go, but uh, let me know when you're going to come to uh, visit me in uh, London sometime. And uh, yeah, Porter and I are talking about it. Oh, that'd be awesome. Well, yeah. I'll get you both here. 
So thanks yeah, a lot man. for coming on here. And I'm oh, uh, anytime. This was amazing, I'll, man. I'll send you the link when it's uh, up, and then hopefully we can do this again sometime, like during the next season when uh, we actually oh, have absolutely watch to talk about, and we can maybe talk about like some current matchups or whatever that we had at a, a tournament. Hopefully, so yeah, wicked, man. This was so cool. All right, okay. Have a good All one. Right. Talk to you soon, buddy. And that's it for episode three of the Serious Squash podcast with Greg Hutner. Thanks so much, Hutch, for coming on. Obviously, you guys could tell that uh, there's a bit of a balance between, uh, you know, fun chit-chat and stories and stuff about Western, Rob Brooks, uh, Junior Squash. Uh, but also, I think, you know, he has a lot of insight and information, having lived the whole Junior Squash uh, pathway in Ontario and Canada and uh, the Western, uh, the college squash game. Uh, so yeah, really insightful stuff. Uh, hopefully you guys enjoy that conversation. I know it was a long one. Uh, I know we'll definitely probably be doing it again someday. Um, so if you do enjoy this, uh, podcast, uh, make sure you subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts, uh, give us a, give me a review as well. And uh, if you like serious squash, then go ahead and, uh, find me on uh, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, uh, slash serious squash. And also, uh, squash shots is on Patreon, uh, patreon.com slash squash shots, which is just a weekly exclusive coaching video. Um, but yeah, so far I've really enjoyed these, uh, interviews. I find like I've, I've been learning a little bit from every episode. Uh, so hopefully you guys are as well. So see you next week or two weeks, actually, uh, for episode four, I got a really special guest coming up, uh, one of the top coaches in the world. And uh, I think you're definitely going to really enjoy that one. So stay tuned.